Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone. Welcome to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm Chris Lenton. Today, I'm joined by NGI senior editor Andrew Baker. And the idea is, is to talk about the U.S.-Mexico Natural Gas Forum that was held recently in San Antonio, Texas. Both Andrew and I were there. We moderated panels. We gave presentations. And I think we really learned a lot about the state of the Mexico natural gas market while we were there. So the idea is to talk about what we came away with. Andrew, if you were to, to come up with sort of one ma major takeaway from the event, what would it be? Yeah, so for me, the overarching theme of this conference was, was a sense of cautious optimism. I think anybody who's followed Mexico's energy sector in recent years is is well aware of some of the tensions that exist between the Lopez Obrador government and the private sector. He has basically, through his energy policies, they have basically sought to kind of give preferential treatment to the state-owned energy companies, Pemex and CFE, to the detriment of, of, of foreign investors in the country. But nonetheless, Mexico remains a humongous natural gas market at about 8 BCF per day and growing. And substantially, all of those imports come from the United States. And there's reason to believe that the demand for those imports is just going to keep growing on, on multiple fronts. So I think there's a lot of reasons to, again, be cautiously optimistic a, a, about the market down there. Yeah, I think numerous experts and, uh, and officials spoke about where that new demand in Mexico is going to come from. I think it's pretty safe to say that the power generation segment is where the immediate incremental demand is going to come from. You're looking at about 10 to 12 combined cycle plants that are being constructed in Mexico across the country, really, from the Yucatan to Baja California in the center of the country as well. And that could add about a BCF a day of, of extra natural gas demand in the next couple of years. There's the petrochemical segment that's using increasing amounts of natural gas. You also have some pipelines that are being completed in the center of the country that could help some of these CFE plants use less of that heavy fuel oil that uh, there's been so much talk about, which would also add natural gas demand. And then you have LNG projects that would source U.S. gas that I think you know we can go get into more depth later on about. And then there's this theme of nearshoring, which, which everyone is talking about. And you actually moderated a very interesting panel on the theme. So maybe you could talk about the, you know, the promise and some of the complications of nearshoring in, in Mexico, Andrew. Sure. And yeah, as you say, nearshoring is certainly the, uh, the word of the moment down there in, in Mexico's energy sector. And for those who don't know what it is, nearshoring basically refers to this trend of companies whose target market is the United States moving their supply chains and production processes out of places like China and back closer to home here in North America. And the factors driving this trend are kind of twofold. I mean, it started, first of all, with, uh, with the supply chain disruptions that we saw out of China during the height of the pandemic due to the COVID restrictions that they had over there. And then as well, it's also due to the increasingly tense trade relationship and tariffs between between the United States and China. And so this has driven companies 
who had previously sought to offshore these operations to kind of move them back closer to home in order to avoid these supply chain disruptions. And of course, you know, this trend is driven by the fact that also that Mexico is a long-standing free trade partner of both the United States and Canada, as well as being geographically close to those to those end markets as well. And from an energy perspective, Mexico also happens to be right next to one of the most abundant and cheap supply basins of natural gas, which is which is the United States, and in particular the Permian Basin and Eagleford Shales of Texas. So major energy implications for for this trend of nearshoring. Yeah. And I think we we also heard during the event that without U.S. natural gas, there really is no nearshoring. And there's sort of multiple examples of that. You know, states without natural gas in in Mexico really, you know, obviously have no no industry to to speak of, and they tend to have lower lower GDPs as well. I also think it's important to mention you, Andrew, said down there, we should talk about our our geographical locations. You are based in in Minnesota. I'm down here in Santiago de Chile. We live in a very globalized world. And just like that, you know, sort of the nearshoring trend is an evolving theme of globalization. The natural gas market is also becoming more globalized. And one of the things I touched on before is the opportunity for Mexico to become a real LNG powerhouse. It would become an LNG exporter using U.S. natural gas. There are something like six BCF a day of natural gas export projects planned in Mexico on the West Coast using that relatively cheaper and abundant gas from West Texas at the you know, the Waha pricing point. And then there are also projects planned on, on the East Coast. I think it's important to, to mention that there are only, uh, you know, a small fraction of that is, is actually in construction at the moment. The most immediate of that would be the, the new Fortress Energy project being planned for, for Altamira on the East Coast, which would target, you know, European markets. And then you have Energia Costa Azul, on the west coast that would would target asian markets but there are other projects that are that are quite advanced there's the the mexico pacific limited project where we've seen considerable commercial agreements but it has yet to get to fid do you think that you got more of a sense during the event andrew of which, which of these projects might have a better chance of going going ahead yeah so as an energy reporter and i think you'll back me up on this chris I've learned to develop, let's say, a healthy sense of skepticism when it comes to LNG projects. So I think it's useful always to look at which ones have actually taken a final investment decision and or begun construction. And so clearly the most advanced in these is is the first train of Sempra's Energia Costa Azul project in, in Baja, California. That's about 3 million metric tons per year of liquefaction capacity that's construction is underway and that, and that project is scheduled to enter service in mid-2025. Then we have New Fortress Energy and their floating LNG project over on the other side on the, on the eastern coast of Mexico off of Altamira. And that one is supposedly should be entering service in the coming weeks. Next, we have a whole subsequent tier of projects that have not reached final investment decision, but which have achieved varying degrees or milestones towards that. One of those that comes to mind is Mexico Pacific Limited's project on the Pacific coast of Mexico. And they've lined up a bunch of offtake commitments for that project uh, and sort of framework agreements to, to develop pipelines, both on the Mexico side and the U.S. side of the border. It's important to note that that basically all of these LNG projects planned for Mexico, the idea is to source their gas from the United States and then and then re-export it. 
so the Mexico Pacific project is is coming along and they're and they're making progress, but again, they still have not reached FID. And then beyond that, you know, I would I would look to to projects like like the subsequent trains planned by Sempra at, at Costa Azul. I think those could have a good shot of coming online eventually. But this issue of pipeline space then becomes a factor as well, because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of LNG projects, a lot of power plants, as you mentioned, plus this whole expected demand from nearshoring could cause uh, some of these projects to be competing for pipeline space, as well as as well as natural gas molecules. And then, of course, there's a whole other host of other factors that come into play, not least of which is uh, is Mexico's upcoming presidential election, which which could impact all these all these matters as well. Yeah. You know, before we get into politics, I think it's really important to mention how important exports are becoming in the, you know, the U.S. natural gas pie. Currently, U.S. export capacity is about 14 BCF a day, which would be the the largest export capacity of any country in the world. But that could increase if you include those Mexico projects and and a project in Canada as well, that could increase to about 27 or 28 BCF a day by 2027. So you're looking at exports purely in LNG getting to close to 30% of U.S. natural gas demand. Then you add the Mexico pipeline figure, which is, you know, hit 7, 7.5 BCF a day of imports from the United States, you know, this this previous North American summer. And it really is a huge part of, of demand growth in, in, in North America, the export picture, which will have an impact on pricing as well. But let's go back to the elections. I think politics in Latin American energy is a, is a very important part to understanding exactly what is going on. And obviously, the Andres Manuel López Obrador administration has been a difficult one for the private sector, so difficult that there is an ongoing trade dispute between the United States and Mexico. And a lot of private sector companies have voiced their displeasure with what's going on. Having said that, we have seen uh, some movement recently in the Mexico natural gas market. You've um, you know, you have an open season that the pipeline operator Senegas is is planning. We've seen development of of natural gas infrastructure. Some of the pipeline disputes that that began the the Lopez Obrador administration being a, a real issue have have quieted down. And so there is some positive momentum moving into the next administration. But again, this the election that's coming up is a very important one. It's between Lopez Obrador's pick, Claudia Scheinbaum, the former mayor of Mexico City, and Xochitl Galvez, who is the opposition candidate. She has a very interesting uh, backstory, and she's gained a lot of momentum recently. Scheinbaum is still very much the favorite, and she would continue the energy policies of the uh, Lopez Obrador administration. But one trend we have seen in, in Latin America is that the opposition tends to win these elections. Galvez is a far more captivating, charismatic leader, and she's talked about restarting some of this, the, some of these oil and gas rounds in Mexico. She's talked about using some of the, the energy reform laws that are in place that have been forgotten about during the López Obrador administration. Uh, she's talked about potentially fracking, developing infrastructure to, to help with gas capture and, and, and things of, of that nature. So she would certainly be the more pro-business candidate. I don't know if you have any final thoughts on the election in Mexico or takeaways from the event, Andrew. Well, as you say, Chris, Claudia Scheinbaum of the ruling Morena coalition is clearly the favorite to win this election. Morena remains hugely popular in Mexico, despite some of these challenges that, that they've had 
over the last several years. That said, you know, as Dr. Tony Payan of Rice University's Baker Institute mentioned at, at the forum, the opposition has picked a really strong and charismatic, dynamic candidate in, in Xochitl, Xochitl Galvez. She's an entrepreneur. She comes from a working class background, and she seems really skilled at and not only speaking in public, but also sort of connecting with people. And obviously the big criticism of Claudia Scheinbaum has been her sort of lack of charisma on, on the public stage. So, you know, the polls indicate that, that Claudia Scheinbaum remains the favorite, but I think that the business-friendly Xochitl Galvez could certainly make make things interesting and, and give Claudia a run for her money in this upcoming election. Great, Andrew. I think that's a, a good way to to end this podcast. I think overall we can say that it's just a very sort of dynamic time in Mexico and North America. Extraordinary opportunity for for economic cooperation and and growth, but there are numerous challenges, politics as as well as global macro issues as well. So thank you very much, Andrew, for your time, and uh, speak soon. Thanks, Chris. Understanding the energy, regulatory, and political landscape is imperative to achieving success in the Mexican natural gas market. A daily information service that is trusted by active market participants on both sides of the border, NGI's Mexico Gas Price Index provides on-the-ground and independent news and insight, as well as market-informed natural gas pricing and flow data. Visit natgasintel.com backslash Mexico dash GPI to find out more about NGI's Mexico services and how they can better inform your strategy today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.